Hello, listeners. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Wavy Pod. I'm one of your hosts, Jack. Alongside me is my co-host, Connor. And today's guest is the world's dumbest biomedical engineer. We have Hunter with us. Buckle up, this is going to be an informative podcast. Stay tuned. What's up, man? Nothing much. Just happy to be here. Yeah. Good. Thanks Good. for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, man. Of course. To have you. It's a pleasure to have you. So, you're our first biomedical engineer on the Wavy Pod. Wow, that's quite an honor. So, can you tell us, uh, us common folk, like, what does that even mean? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> so, pretty much, a uh, biomedical engineer. When you go to the hospital, like every machi- machine you see, every like heartbeat monitor, that's designed by biomedical engineers. Kind of what their job is is taking engineering principles and applying it to medicine. Hmm. And so it's kind of like an engineering specifically for health. Hmm. And so what motivates you to study biomedical engineering? I mean, so my first inspiration, this was before I even knew that such a thing existed but I had a sick family member and I was in the hospital and like just all the machines hooked up it just kind of like blew my mind that there was a machine for like every single metabolic process like your kidneys your heart your breathing everything can be done with a machine and so I was just fascinated like that we have these this technology that can do this for people and just really interested me and then as I grew up I just kind of started I discovered a biomedical engineering and like they're the ones that make those machines and that's kind of what drove me to it does uw madison have a pretty good program for that oh yeah we're one of the best in the country i would say for it we're a very well respected program awesome representing yeah yeah a lot of other schools like steal our professors because if they're teaching here then like we had our biomechanics lead professor went to stanford i think this year Damn, hate to see him go. (laughs) That's crazy. So, tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now. School-wise or, like, research-wise? For your research, yeah. So, for my research project, I work specifically in a vocal cord research lab. Oh, that's dope, actually. And so, we studied pretty much vocal cord pathologies, diagnosing them, treating them, uh, surgical techniques, and kind of all of that. And so my two projects I'm working on right now combine computer vision with vocal cords. And what's computer vision for? I mean, we're CS students. Yeah, we know. <laughs> most people are like computers and vision. Like, well, like <laughs> what is that? Action, <laughs> so computer vision, like, if you think of a self-driving car, computer vision is what makes that happen. Computer vision is a way where a computer takes an image and sees something and can analyze it and tell you what's in the image or um, it can use machine learning to identify like oh this is a person here or um, it pretty much is like a image processing library and it's open source so anyone can use it it's just pretty much a bunch of tools to process and analyze images and so it's like when you are using the computer vision for the vocal cords it looks at like a scan of the vocal cords 
type deal or so what i'm doing specifically is um we take a high speed video of a vocal cord phonating Ooh. phonating that means it's like yeah vibrating. That, that i don't really like, know what a vocal cord looks like yeah. or is it like a cord in the neck or? so it's like two pieces of tissue that butt up against each other okay. and what happens is the pressure builds up underneath it and as the pressure builds up it starts to make a wave like pattern and that's what produces the sound is this area like shooting through and it creates a sort of sound wave by vibrating at like very high frequencies so it's a very unique piece of tissue no other yeah. tissue really does that nothing vibrates quite like vocal cords do and so that's why it's interesting to study is because it's unique in that way so you're watching the, the vocal cords move yeah and how does that work? Do they put, like, a camera down someone's throat? Or? <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, in, in like, clinical studies, they have a camera. It's called an endoscope. It's on a really, it's, like, a really thin camera, and it just goes down their throats and looks at them. I'm working on excise, so it would be, like, we take a pig vocal cord, mm. and we set it up on, like, an apparatus and have it phonate, and so it's just, like, the vocal cord out. Oh, so you, like have a dead pig take out its vocal cords and then yeah we work with a local butcher in town <laughs> oh wow that's yeah. actually kind of crazy yep Damn. and they just donate them to us because they don't use them yeah and so the goal eventually is so like you're practicing these techniques on the pig vocal cords and then eventually the goal is to like take the the high-speed recordings of people's vocal cords and yeah okay so the goal would be is kind of how just like the general outline for a lot of medical research is you start out on something excised tissue and you run tests on that. So like we're looking at these vocal cords and we're on like the computer vision is a diagnostic tool. And so we're looking at it and we're seeing like this can capture what we want it to capture. And then from there, it's how can we get it to do that in someone's body? Mm. And so then that adds another like barrier, but it's just validating the technique as a tool. And then it's from there, like finding a way to use it actually on people. So when so these these high speed videos, like when they are eventually used for with people, like what is that gonna what is it gonna tell you? Like what diagnosis could you get from something that this could capture? So what the video is actually getting is it recognizes points on the tissue, and what it does is it sees a point, it steps to the next frame of the image and it tracks that point. And so you get like a bunch of points on the fold and as it moves, you track all of the points and you can characterize the wave in all different spots. Hmm. And so we get this sort of graph where it tells you the amplitude on each part of the vocal fold and the frequency. And with a lot of disorders, it changes the actual properties of the tissue. And so it becomes stiffer hmm. or um, bruised in some way. And that changes how it phonates evenly or you could see like maybe like the amplitude in like this portion if you have some sort of sore there will be smaller because the tissue is stiffer so harder to move and so it's just characterizing the wave in the fold very cool hey guys thanks for listening to our podcast we want to give a quick shout out to hardy hands hardy hands is a charity organization that was established by students here at uw madison their mission is to give resources to people suffering from homelessness. If you want to somehow make a contribution to the Wavy Pod, then we encourage you to donate. Please Venmo Hardy Hands, H E A R T Y underscore H A N D S, with the description Wavy or the Wave emoji. 
Also, stay tuned for an upcoming episode with Merritt, the founder of Hardy Hands. Now, back to Hunter's episode. Second project, we just started getting going. Um, so, vocal cord surgery is very risky. Not that, like, you could ever actually, like, die from it. But if you have, like, a sore or something and they go to remove it, if they mess it up, they could just take away your ability to speak. Wow. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah. And so our lab has always had areas working on surgical simulations to help surgeons practice. And a project I'm starting is trying to create VR surgical simulations for this. Oh, wow. To try and make surgeons more comfortable in the operating room. Because it's a very different surgery. Because how it works is you take a metal tube and you stick it down their throat. And then you have these super long, like, scalpels and um, scissors and forceps. And it's, like, every movement is very, like, amplified at that distance. And you're just, like, kind of cramped up like this. Jeez, you just got to have the steadiest hands. Yeah, it's... Oh, my God. If you have shaky hands, like, it is, of all surgeons, they have the steadiest hands. Wow. Because it's, if they make one wrong cut. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. And, like, if their hand's shaking, like... If you hold your hand still, but you have a very small instrument, like, a foot away from where your hand is, like, you shake a little bit, and that just is amplified as it goes down. Damn. One little hand trimmer, and we're no longer on the wavy pod, man. (laughs) (laughs) Last episode. Damn. You just be in the lab making beats all the time. Yeah. (laughs) I just have to get super good at that. Talk through the music. Let my emotions out that way. So, uh, both of us heard that you had a big break with um something about a textbook that was the rumor do you want to let's hear about it yeah, you want to know a little bit more about this yeah so that was another project i'm kind of a secondary worker on was a lot there's a lot of aerodynamics that come with voice just because when you're speaking you use airflow mm-hmm. and someone was writing a textbook about vocal cords everything about them they had a chapter specifically on the aerodynamics like how the airflow affects your speech how diseases affect airflow and so he asked us to write a textbook chapter on everything about aerodynamics because that's kind of how our lab got started and so we're a very big uh, contributor and we've developed lots of diagnostic tools that use aerodynamics to um, diagnose vocal cord disorders and so we spent probably a month and a half just writing like 15 pages of a textbook, 15, 20 pages. And it's actually, everyone's read textbooks in college, but they don't realize what goes into them. Yeah, I have no idea what <laughs> yeah. goes into that. Yeah, what is the textbook writing process like? I mean, because you're sitting here and someone asks you to write everything you've done, or everything, uh, not even I've done, everything my lab has done in the past like 25 years in 15, 20 pages. And so you were... You worked on that on those fifteen pages with a group of other research students, or there was a professor with you guys. It was me and so it was me and my lab manager. Okay. Wow. Who, I mean, my lab manager's been there for probably four or five years now, mm-hmm. and then I've only been there for four or five months. Yeah. And so I was doing a lot of the actual writing, and then he was, I wrote a lot of it, and then we went in the same room, put it on a big screen, and we just spent like a week straight just hashing out all the details like what shouldn't have been said what needs to be cited more more details that need to be included i would send it off the guy 
would send it back in like two days and be like, all right, I need to see this changed. I don't like how this is. Uh, this needs to be reworded. And we would just sit there for another two days, rehash it out again. And so when do you think like, so is your portion totally done? Like it's okay, okay to go? Yes and no. Because there's a whole nother process where once he puts all of this book together, it goes to a publisher and that publisher takes it and he then tells him, what he thinks of it and what needs to be done and then that could come back to me like okay this needs so the process might not be done might not be done could be done i hope it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah and how long would it take from like the stage you guys are at now to where it's like this textbook might be someone's textbook that they have to get for a class um so that would probably be i would it's hard to say if it got published within the year or like accepted and started to be actually because like once it's accepted someone goes in and formats it like this is where i want the figures to be mm -hmm. it could be probably four or five years wow if it got accepted right away and is this textbook like do you think it'll be for a class that's really focused in the future like a high level college class it would probably be med school wow because i mean it's specifically a vocal cord book and yeah. so you don't really see that unless you're going to med school for like ear, nose, or throat. Are you excited to get a copy of the book? That would be cool. Yeah. It would be cool to just like say after it's published, like, yeah, my name is in it somewhere. And that you wrote <laughs> it, like wrote part of it. What percentage of the book do you think that is? Like how, how big of a book can you, I mean, I'm sure you could write an endless book on the science of vocal cords, but how big of a book do you think this is going to be? I mean, it'll probably be at least, boom. Uh, probably like three or four hundred pages. Damn. I probably wrote like fifteen to twenty. Pretty good percentage for, like, <laughs> for a med school book coming out of college. Like yeah. that's pretty sick. Five percent of the textbook. Yeah. Oh, nice math. <laughs> <laughs> math major over here. Not bad. Yeah, it's just a lot to think because you read a textbook and it's always so dense with knowledge, and you're like, this is just way too detailed for me to ever use. Uh huh. But then, like, actually being the one writing it, and I'm like, I'm pretty much putting all the knowledge. That, like, if someone needed to know something about this, they could look at this chapter and be like, all right, this is everything I need to know about. And all the papers are cited that have any relation to it. And it's like, if you're just reading it for a class, like, you don't quite get all of that in. But if you look at it like, I need to know something about aerodynamics, or you have, like, an inspiration and you're a clinician and you think, oh, like, how could I use this? It's just got all the tools you need to. That's pretty sick. Maybe in the future there there's going to be some med students just grinding on that textbook. Mm -hmm. and just, you wrote it. You're giving them hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone will be spending a long night reading that book. Mm. And they'll probably think everything I wrote is useless. But it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in their shoes and mine. And it's not useless. It just is detailed. advancement in medical technology is going to be like the biggest change is going to be towards i think the access mm -hmm. so you think the biggest improvements in healthcare are definitely going to be 
the countries that have healthcare the worst. Like what I'm saying is, what I'm trying to get at is, do you think that the countries who have the worst healthcare now, the rate that their healthcare is going to improve is going to be a lot more than like the leading countries? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, that's kind of true with a lot of just technology in general. Mm-hmm. Is because when countries like I'm just gonna throw out like Sudan or Kenya, they progress a lot faster when they finally do start to progress mm-hmm. because once they start building an economy, they now have all of these new technologies available to them right away. Like a country like the U.S. that was always at the forefront, they're waiting on technology to just be there. Like it has to be invented for them to advance. But them like when they start to progress, they're just like choosing which technologies to implement and it allows them to catch up very fast and it's just going to be getting cheaper and cheaper yeah actually a decent amount that's good it's a lot of it though they're saying it and kids are like i get it yeah that's what i was wondering i don't care how many (laughs) kids are like what percent of kids do you think are motivated by the money they're gonna make versus actually helping people i mean if you ask anyone they'll say it's helping people Mm -hmm. but if it wasn't for the money if they'd actually be doing it i doubt very few Hmm. but i mean bme like if you're going BME is a very rigorous course load, and it is not the most promising career of all the engineering. If you wanted an easier course load with more money, you could do, like, I wouldn't say easier. It's still difficult in, like, its own way, but, like, computer engineering or things like that, you could learn a lot more skills that are more valuable. Shots fired. (laughs) It's just, like, smoke with other majors. It's just, like, with BME, you have to take a lot of classes that don't apply to what you want to do. Yeah. And so, like, when employers are hiring, they're like, I need a computer engineer. And you're like, I'm BME, and I learned some computer engineering, but you don't quite have the skills of a computer engineer. Do you think we'll ever get to go to space? Me and you, or yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think me or you are ever going to space <laughs> <laughs> unless we do something very right. Now. <laughs> when do you think that like going to space will be something that you could just like sign up to do? I mean, hundred years. I don't know. That's really hard to. Yeah, I guess that's hard to say. It's but one day. It's like based completely on the fact of how much interest we put into it. We could be there in like 30 years if the world decided that that's where they wanted to focus on. Yeah. We could be doing crazy things in that area. I feel like it'd be cool for like one day. After 24 hours on the moon, I'm probably like, yeah, I'm I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it's like, it's just a rock. Yeah. And like the view's got to be cool. Oh, yeah. Just stunning. (laughs) <laughs> but but yeah then you yeah. see it and it's like it's kind of like when you get to the grand i've never been to the grand canyon and i want to but it's like it's like you get there and then it's like it's like okay we saw it 
Yeah, maybe there's some good hikes on the moon, though. Who knows? <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> it's probably so easy to get lost. What's Elon? SpaceX, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aren't they sending, like, some Japanese billionaire to the moon because he wants to go? Really? Yeah. I remember Damn. Reading that. They've been doing a lot of launches lately. And those launches look crazy. I saw a time lapse of one of the launches, and it's just like, it looks like the Northern Lights, but it's just like in a small, focused area. Damn. They do crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> At SpaceX? Yeah. actually in a class right now uh that that's all we talk about it's actually like class kind of sucks but i thought it was gonna be sick but it's not that sick but we talk about just like yeah in the future like designer babies and stuff where it's like you're gonna be able to choose like what color hair your baby has and you're gonna be able to make sure that they don't have any of these diseases and you're it's just gonna be like build a bear basically for a baby which is wild yeah i don't i definitely don't want to I think the FDA will definitely step in with, like, the change of hair and build a baby part. But I see that definitely making a huge impact and making sure they don't have, like, these diseases yeah. area. Because, I mean, there's no way the FDA would ever stop that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's <laughs> great. No one wants to have a baby and then they're born with some fatal illness. Yeah. That's just the worst thing that could happen. But I think, like, beyond that, like, there's no need to choose your baby's eye color. Yeah. Or their hair color. Mm-hmm. Or, like, how tall they're going to be. It's like, let it happen. Let it yeah. be a... Like, let some things be natural. Yeah. As long as they're healthy. That's all that matters. But then you got to define healthy. True. Mm-hmm. True. So are they predisposed to being obese later in life? Is that healthy? It really is crazy how True. much your genes control about you. Like, because there is, no, like, even to an extent, it's like how smart you are. Mm-hmm. It's genetic. Mm-hmm. To an extent. And I mean, I don't really know that extent. I don't know too much about genetics. Like, I'm a month into like, an <laughs> intro level class, but like. <laughs> like but. I think I remember in psychology, the like current psycho- like estimate would be like half genetic, half environment. Wow. Would be your intelligence. That makes sense. I feel like, yeah, people underestimate how much of it is just within yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can be like super smart, but you just gotta apply yourself. And that's one of the things we talk about is like, cause you can get these genetic tests done where they tell you everything that your DNA tells you about yourself. Even like, I don't, I mean, I don't know how they measure intelligence, but it can tell you like predisposition to being smart. And I, I, it's like I wouldn't even want to look at that because like, what if it tells you like you're gonna not be that smart genetically? Then like in your head that's going to get to you yeah. and you're not going to work as hard mm-hmm. or something because you're going to be like, oh, this just isn't me. You just got to tell your kids that they're super smart. Yeah. Uh, but then you don't want them to be cocky so you got to be kind of... You got to be like, you're super smart but not that smart. Shut <laughs> up, man. <laughs> I actually would be like more nervous to hear that I'm genetically supposed to be very smart because then mm. I always feel like I have to live up to that. Mm. I think that would just be kind of shitty to like know like mm. if everyone knows you're genetically supposed to be smart and you're just like constantly trying to have to live up to that one of the one of the things that these tests can tell you is if you're going to get some fatal disease later on in your life yeah and we talk we talk a lot about ethics in this class would you guys want to know i would not want to know neither would i Hmm. it's hard to say 
Because, like, if I knew I was going to get some fatal disease, I think I would live my life very differently. Yeah. But if I, like, <laughs> had a fatal dis- disease, I would want to know how much time I have. Yeah. So no, yeah, I'd want to know. Yeah. I wouldn't want to just be like, oh, it could be tomorrow. But yeah, I don't think I would want to know because it's, like, every day I would just be thinking about that. I'd be like, how, like... I'm only get, I only have this many more days of being healthy. Like that would just be terrifying. Yeah. Oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> a little dark right now on the wavy pod. A little dark on the wavy pod. Hunter. Thank you for coming on the Wavy Pod. I was happy to be here. (laughs) We learned a lot. We did. This was a very informative episode for sure. Probably the most informative episode we've had. The most technical too. Yeah, definitely. Might (laughs) throw some listeners off guard. (laughs) Learn something this episode, guys. Test yourselves. Yeah. Learn something new on the Wavy Pod. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm definitely happy to come back anytime. This was an enjoyable experience. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram at the Wavy Pod. On SoundCloud at the Wavy Pod. Yep. Keep it wavy. Yeah.